Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm very good. I'm reliable. I uh, I don't take weeks off, unlike uh, my my uh, my <laughs> my colleague here. No, it's Luke, you've decided to join us this week. You're not lazing about. How are you? <laughs> well, um, I don't know how to better. respond to this this smear. I was I, I was working last week. I promise. Yeah. Well, um, this week you two are very lucky. It is my day off. It is Friday is my day off next week as well. So there'll be um. More a chance to say, well, you were wrong to call me lazy the week before. And yet I still, my name still somehow managed to slip into the um, the podcast. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't get rid of me. You were working. You you, you were working on your, your new personal best for most cans of cider drunk before noon. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> special brewer. Oh, I, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Well, Luke, since you've decided to join us, we'll jump to you for the first story today, which is... Uh, Surprise, surprise, the vaccination of children. What have you got to tell us? So, so yes, um, start, starting strong this week on a COVID story. The, the um, Joint Committee for Vaccination and Immunisation has had a, a recent U-turn and has decided that 16 and 17-year-olds should retrieve routine vaccination like, like all other age groups. And given that they're the age group below 18-year-olds, they are, of course, the next vaccination target. Yeah, again, we, we've discussed this issue plenty of times before. This should really be called the Broken Record podcast at times. And, uh, just got to say, young people don't need the vaccine unless they are immune comp- immunocompromised. In fact, it is even more dangerous for, for them to take the vaccine. Right? Statistic from, from the BMJ, for every 100,000 healthy young people between the ages of 20 to 29, i.e., an age group even more at risk than teenagers, but only just. 0.8% no, 0.8 would be admitted to an ICU due to COVID, whereas 1.1 per 100,000 would suffer the side effect of a blood clot from the vaccine. And although that risk is still minimal, vaccinating children is really not a rational choice to make. But, but of course, children haven't exactly been a protected species in this pandemic. They've been treated like lepers were in Judean times. And of course, this tyranny isn't running on won't someone please think of the children and uh, as the the regime's propaganda shows they are to be quote unquote persuaded into taking the vaccination now the government of course wants to jab as many people as possible and it does not care for any moral or ethical boundaries the reason it is mainly trying to remove parental consent is that it knows that young people are a conformist group they're going to swallow all these ad campaigns all these youtube videos of young people saying to other young people oh you should get the vaccine and um i mean the reason perhaps why we're i'd say rather numb and expectant of this story is is because of the more explicitly draconian policies that will soon be introduced like about vaccine passports and um this is just i know i've said this repeatedly this said this before repeatedly but it's just another link in the chain really yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned sort of the, GC, uh, the JCVI's change of heart on this, um, because what we saw yesterday is that one of the advisors in the JCVI who advises the government, called Robert Ding, was essentially being kicked out, um, along with some others who have been removed. And surprise, surprise, these are some of the people who were against the vaccination of children. Uh, Robert Dingwall said that actually within the committee, those who are sceptical of whether or not children should receive the COVID vaccine isn't actually that much of a um, uh, frowned upon opinion within the committee, but it seems as though those who hold this position are being slowly weeded out. Um, So any opportunity of criticism 
uh, of the policy of vaccinating children against COVID is being weeded out um, left, right and centre, obviously in the media where people who argue against this are called granny killers. Um, and even within advisory committees, scientific advisory committees, where by its very nature, you'd expect that people um, with different opinions, so long as they have something to back these up and um, are respected figures themselves, should be able to stay in debate and find the best answer. That's just not the approach, it seems, that is being taken. There's nothing I can really say about the, the vaccination angle that hasn't already been addressed aptly by the two of you, but what this says to me is this is part of a, just a wider trend of, you know, um, parents are essentially losing their children to this regime, right? Like, um, you know, if in basically any other domain, if you're 16, 17, presumably you live at home and, you know, under what I consider to be a good moral system, your parents are still responsible for you. The fact that you, your kid can leave the house and go get a, you know, a, a jab that they don't really at all need without their parents even knowing about it is um yeah it's it's a it's a it's a worrying trend that's that's not just in vaccination but in in many other things yeah well we we're talking before we started recording that this extends into uh, the giving of contraception in places uh, sometimes hormone changes we're seeing some reports of uh, the giving of sex education is becoming more and more difficult for parents to pull their children out of these classes these classes sorry if they don't agree with them and you're right the the state um, parent relationship as being inversed ever more by the day uh, to the position where it's it's seen as um, being the state's responsibility to raise children rather than the parents, which of course is the opposite of the, the truth. Um, but I can't help but feel in, in some of this that a lot of this is actually parents' fault. One, mm. for allowing it to get to this stage, not questioning it more firmly, uh, but also um, while there are still many upstanding families and, and parents in this country, we unfortunately see after decades of sort of cultural revolution uh, or uh, cultural vanguard, I think you said yesterday, Sam, because it's already been won, um, that parental responsibility has become a thing of the past. Mm. Um, I mean, you see this with some stats um, of quite a while back, but this has changed more um, to a, a worse position now, which are stated in... Melanie Phillips' book, Almost Have Prizes, when she's talking about parents and, and why families are formed, why people get married. In a lot of countries, you see that um, parents get married so as to raise children, to create a family, whereas others do it uh, for themselves, if you see what I mean, so as simply um, as a way of living their own lives, which I think is, is not, you know, fine, that's a part of it, but to separate children from the equation or to make it a lesser good um is dangerous and and works in the state's favor mm. yeah no there's um again though this feels like um you know we're, we're, we're you know several hundred dominoes into the into the chain reaction right this this has been happening it's been ongoing for decades now and a, bit, a big part of it is the fact that and it may it may seem unrelated but the fact that a, a, a solitary income can no longer support a family so now there isn't a parent in the home the kids are, you know, most kids are now latchkey kids, right? The parents have left the room, leaving the state to inevitably fail to pick up the slack. You know, if 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 safeguarding one child is difficult, then, then safeguarding millions is practically impossible. Yeah. You can also combine that point with the fact that children essentially live a double life now. Yeah. The parent, even after they get home from work and spend time with their children, really, they 
have, have no idea what life their child is living. And this is due to um, technology literally taking over young, young people's lives. Yeah. They form their own identities and personalities, habits, interests, vices, the whole works outside the family and outside of wider society altogether. I mean, I've talked about this point before, but essentially everyone is their own universe. Hmm. Everyone lives, every household is a parallel society. And, and but also the, the kids are being are being raised by culture, right? As we were yeah. saying, kids aren't being raised by culture that is linked heavily to the political regime. Yeah, yeah, political regime. And now, you know, its latest arm or the latest head on the Hydra being um, the idea that quite literally anything that supposedly reduces um, the prevalence of coronavirus is justified, including uh, jabbing kids without their parents' knowledge. Hmm. Well, again, just on your point, Luke, of, of children living in a separate universe, this is, I think, again, the fault of, of parents as, a, as an institution, by which I mean parents generally, because, again, this, this doesn't apply to many, uh, to all rather, but it does apply to many. Um, where you see that in, in many schools, um, they're having to introduce professional toothbrush overseers to make sure that children are cleaning their teeth before they go to school. And primary schools are having to introduce potty trains because parents haven't teached their children to, to advance on this very basic step much earlier. And, and reading as well, something which um, would normally have been considered being completely normal for children is uh, very much uh, sort of ignored in the raising of children by so many families where parents are there, um, whether it's two or one or whatever. Um, and as he said, is, is left to be picked up by the school, but they fail on this because if you don't teach a child the basics in the first four or five years, um, then you've got a lot further to travel um, when someone else tries to pick up the slack. Well, also the, the school is is occupied by the cultural vanguard. Yes. At, at, at every level, you know, we... We we to a degree accepted it in in, in academia and in, you know in in um, tertiary education, but now it's sort of gone lower and lower and lower, and now it's in the primary school, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, you know, these are the same people who you know who binned you know Chaucer and Keats from the curriculum because it was you know it 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 was it had to be decolonized, right? These people don't give two hoots about you know a, a, a decent education. It's all about creating the next generation of vanguards. Yeah, and also you see uh, in Warwick, probably less than a year ago, not very much more than, um, the creation of new sex education regimes in which they teach young children around the age of six, seven, eight, how to masturbate and tell them as well in curriculums to do it behind their parents' back, essentially encouraging them to do this uh, as often as they wish. Now, that um, this was introduced by Warwick County Council. Um, into the education system, but it soon got removed. They actually removed it from the website, but I had a printout before, uh, about a month before, so I've still got it all and have, have highlighted it in a number of reports. Um, but what they said when they removed it, and some conservatives celebrated the removal, saying, finally, we questioned uh, this sex education and they've removed it, we just need to carry on. Not at all. All they said is that it's slightly too soon. Maybe we've we've gone in with this idea a little too soon. We'll introduce it further down the line. All it is is a momentary pause. As soon as uh, these people, uh, the educational elites, think that they have the chance of introducing it without much criticism, they'll do it. And it will be there not only in Warwick, but across all schools in the country, I reckon, within the next five to ten years. Mm-hmm. And it will be in schools without a hoot from the wider public. The 
the, the media will have perhaps one big article about it and it'll be talked about on TV for about three or four days and then it will just be normalised. I mean, it's it's already, this stuff has already been normalised. Well, yeah, our, our issue before last, you know, we call it the, 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 the terocracy, you know, how, how, uh, how fear is employed through mass communication to ensure um, you know, loyalty and obedience. That, that also applies to this, right? If you don't like what your kid's being taught, tough, because if you question it, you know, suddenly you're, you're a pariah and it's fair game to go after your, your employment, fair game to go after your business, anything, you know. If you, if you stand in the way of the cultural vanguard, they are, to themselves, um, justified in, in destroying you. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I think another important thing to look at um, when considering the vaccination, not only of children, those below 18, but also um, young adults, is how it is they're going to try and persuade people to get vaccinated. So on this, I wanted to talk about the new um, government ad campaign, which has been announced today, uh, which essentially tells people that if you don't get vaccinated, you won't be able to live or enjoy your life as normal. The campaign is called Don't Miss Out. And it says don't miss out on going to nightclubs, on embracing people, on, you know, on, um, on living your life in a normal, enjoyable way, a way that was considered normal before all this pandemic came about. Um, and so it's essentially, as we've said on many occasions before, the latest bout of blackmail uh, and fear, which the government is trying to spread through young people and the wider population. Um, and we see also from Grant Shapps, the transport secretary, that this isn't just a temporary thing. If you don't get vaccinated, you're not just going to not be able to enjoy your life for the short term. This is forever. He said this week that foreign travel, travel overseas, will forevermore be contingent on being vaccinated. And one really interesting slip up was that he said, um, it's a new part of the new world, he said, essentially, that you need to be fully vaccinated, double vaccinated to travel abroad. He swapped the word double vaccinated for fully vaccinated. Now, I don't know if that was simply a mistake or if it was a hint that booster shots will also soon be part of the requirement for being able to travel abroad and will be updated onto the vaccine passports, as again, we've said before. Um, will that just be COVID vaccine shots or will it also extend to flu vaccines? Um, which I'm sure there'll be raging debates about later this year, and vaccines for other illnesses which will come about and for new variants. It seems never to stop, and neither, of course, does the propaganda around it. Yeah, perhaps the most sinister thing about the vaccine passport rhetoric from the government is that they say it's an attempt, to, and they use one word, they say it's an attempt to persuade people to take the vaccine when really if, if you look at it it's, it's intimidation it's a threat it's it's based on um if you don't do this positive action we will hurt you yeah, yeah. yeah. i think it was dominic Raab who admitted that it's not just about persuading it's about coaxing young people into doing it cajoling them mm. into getting vaccinated um it's giving them very little choice i think you said it's uh, it might have been you sam that it's like the godfather choice um if you don't do this basically you won't be able to do very much else in your life Mm. Yes, yeah, so I, I also said that uh, that um, cajoling is absolutely the wrong word. The word is uh, manipulating and bullying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, with, with the Fed being cut off, I mean, you know, like I, I utterly despise clubs and everything about them, so I, I won't be missing out there. But it's not about you know what I like and don't like. It's about the simple moral fact that the fact that 
we're, we're, we're now on the precipice of a society where your freedom to move around as you wish is contingent on divulging not only not only divulging private medical information but being injected against your will in some case in in many cases is um evil and i doubt that the government will u-turn this i mean when has a u-turn ever happened in favor of, of liberty not just temporarily but permanently see this 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 reminds me of like a like a police interrogation where they break down the suspect they break them down break them down break them down break them down and then they give them an out and they t- they grab it with both hands right they, they, they snap your hand off to, to get this out that's what they're doing you know that they've reduced life um which once you know while not being perfect was still you know there was still a spontaneity and a freedom and a joy to it they've replaced that with just hysteria and hypochondria and hyperbole and fear wherever you look and constant propaganda and then they're telling you well your way out of it is just just to stick your arm out and get this jab that's your way out you know yeah and but they they say it with this this sickening confidence as if like that's the only out you have of this as as, as opposed to the government just accepting that we've done all we can and just letting us be i mean if freedom is dependent on people being vaccinated that is more or less a hostage situation yeah but it's a rolling it's a permanent hostage situation because these two jabs aren't aren't going to be enough soon there'll be boosters soon there'll be another pandemic soon we'll we'll probably be forced to wear flu jabs and of course then there's the climate matter um if you don't get this sort of car or if you use this sort of light bulb or if you don't use this sort of recycling bin uh then you won't be able to live your life as normal it's already being mentioned i think it was mentioned last year this is sort of really early on, but it's the, the rhetoric around that is hyping up as well. The idea of climate lockdown. Yes, I remember because in, in the first lockdown, there were a lot of stories about how there's always like, you know, ecological recovery going on. So they were just laying, they were just laying the groundwork. But um, go, go, go. By the way, just very quickly, I think there's also reports of there being well over a billion, close to two billion, might be more than that, face masks now washing up in the ocean. Um, so, yeah, good luck on that. Yes, and and you know, and go, going back to you know the the whole freedom being you know dependent on whether your you know uh, your your jab is up to date. Um, at this point, the 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 mainstream press is literally just like a communication forum for the regime, right? You know, it's it's where new ideas go in and they incubate and then they become implemented. It's just it's just a way of elites communicating with one another. Now. So when you see, you know, something creeping into the press, that's not just, you know, a journalist saw that and thought, oh, that's a cool story. I'll put that in. You know, it's 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 coordinated. It's all it's all part of the the elaborate performance. And now they're putting they're starting to it's starting to creep in the idea that we're going to need booster jabs, right? Pfizer have already come out and said that the vaccine only lasts for six months, which yeah. is, you know, when you really, you know, scratch beneath the surface, that's such a deeply ominous development, you know. Yeah. Why did people not know this before they got the vaccine? Uh, maybe they would have had a change of thought or wanted to go over a different provider at that time. There's been no no giving of information around all of this. Now, of course, it's some of these questions are deeply medical, which would go way over our heads. So there's only so much you can do. And I often thought the same around you know the, the debates around leaving the European Union, where people say we should be giving out information pamphlets on the impact on trade. No one's going to pay attention to them. And even if they did, they wouldn't understand them. We probably wouldn't as well. It's not a, a comment on other people's uh, 
lack of whatever. It's just a general statement about people. Um, so well, there is only well, so much that can be done, but it seems the government has made no effort, not because people wouldn't understand, but just because they don't want them to understand. But it, it, it kind of is, though, right? Like, I think, you know, the average person cares more about their social standing than they do about, you know, higher ideals of autonomy and liberty. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, like, um, I, I, like a lot of my friends my age, you know, mid-20s, don't need this thing in any sense of the word. Well, literally, I, I asked them, why did you take it? And their answer is always the same. It's either so I don't miss out on things and it's because what everyone else is doing. Yeah, it's just the done thing. It's the done thing. The human mind is still an animal, and humans are not robots or angels. And um, at this sort of primitive state, which essentially a materialist society reduces them to, they become very short-term focused. Is it like like your mates, Wicket, only um, caring about the bread and circuses if they get the vaccine? Mm. Or they're conformist, which is the uh, other piece of the jigsaw. In... In the last issue, we all we all we all um, co-wrote a piece about you know the, how the different areas of society are responsible for where we're at now and what we're on the verge of. And I I, I read about the public and the point I, point I made in the sense of that was that we are a social animal. You know we do live in a herd. You know it's just our herd is now just much bigger and much more complex than it should be. But what happens? You know the the, the ramifications of of the early. Um, obedience with covid diktat the so damaging because the herd psychology can change in a day you know um, the, um a mass of people moving in a certain direction just permeates and that becomes the new herd thing to do right so so now you know so, so you know the three of us and and many of our friends and colleagues and adjacents may be black sheep but um the herd is still you know going in that direction it's all hurtling towards that cliff Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned, Luke, about the government not U-turning on this. It might be interesting just quickly to talk about whether or not it's coming in. Now, some Conservative MPs, uh, such as Andrew Bridgen, who's against vaccine passports, says um, there's so many of us against it in Parliament. I think it's about 50, they reckon now, Conservative MPs, uh, that it won't pass when you add on uh, opposition from Liberal Democrats and uh, Labour now, it's, it's worth noting, by the way, that the Lib Dems, I read the other day, support giving young people money to get vaccinated. So they're all right with bribes and uh, sort of so-called gentle persuasion in this case, but are apparently against vaccine passports. But Labour's opposition to vaccine passports, I find to be very thin. Um, you know, Keir Starmer doesn't have a problem, it seems to me, with vaccine passports at football stadiums and nightclubs. His opposition is to vaccine passports for education, for medical attention things like this so i can still see it being passed through parliament because of that especially if the government pulls out ever so slightly and says fine we won't make the mandatory for universities say for lectures and halls but we will make the mandatory still for nightclubs and then that soon extends uh, under the the very uh, open definition of large venues to pubs uh, stadiums which we already know music venues all of this so i'm i'm sort of torn as to whether or not i think it will pass i wouldn't at all be surprised if it did but i do still sort of welcome a very small hope which is a rarity as listeners to the podcast and readers of the magazine will know uh, that it might not actually go through 
And also there's the ch small chance that this might just be um, a bit of blackmail short term that they say, do this, do this, do this. Otherwise, you can't live your life as normal. And then come September when they realize it's worked, which I, you know, probably it will. Um, they will take back on it and say, fine, enough people are vaccinated. Now we don't need to do this. So there's a lot, you know, we're still in relatively early days, despite being 18 months on from this and having talked about it a very long time ago before it was sort of formally announced or discussed by the government. But we'll, I think we'll basically have to keep our eyes peeled, see what's going on and just not, uh, not let them slip through minor details without scrutiny. In a way, I can understand, not understand, but I can, I can almost rationalise a politician's approach to this, considering the fact that the, the level of public obedience to the first lockdown would have had the same effect on our political class as, you know, the first shot of heroin does to a junkie, right? It's just, you know, it's, it's like one and done. You're, 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 you're hooked now. But with the public, it's a lot more um dark really because it speaks to the um the vanishing of our high trust society of our you know communal society of our you know um you know, our society of you know fraternity where what what we're seeing now is people who are vaccinated um with some exceptions uh luke being one of them are more than okay to see vaccine passports brought in because they have their in-group preference right like they're like w because they're vaccinated they're of the they will be of the advantage class. We were talking, you, you brought up that uh, Friends superstar Jennifer Aniston has disowned friends for not being vaccinated. But what's the bet that 90% of her friends did get vaccinated? So in the end, although she's been very sadistic and cutting people out of her life, she it's probably not even noticeable to her because it's such a large number. I mean, if if my friends wanted to expel all those who were vaccinated, I'd be in very big trouble. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a numbers game in the end. The it, false consensus bias, for a more accurate term, if you're surrounded in what is essentially an echo chamber, you mm. in mm. effect believe that the entire world is like this. When of course Brexit and Trump vote show that's not the case. Yeah, and there's almost a mob rule component to it, right? Because now most people have either one or both jabs, right? Yeah. Well, at least most adults. So if, you, if you're going to put it to the public and say, you know, would you, would you like to bring in you know, these measures? Most people are going to look at that and say, hmm, would I like to become socially and politically advantaged? Yes, I would. Yes, I would, actually. You know, no, like you're, you're saying, you know, you basically, it's like electoral bribing. You know, you're saying, you know, vote for, vote, vote for this, vote for me, and, and you'll, you know, You'll have the run of things. You'll be able to go at, go at as you please, and, you, and you'll be able to discriminate. Mm. And it's it's very interesting again how the rhetoric works on this. That people are told if they get vaccinated, they get privileges. You can do this. You can do this. As though before 2020, we weren't allowed to go clubbing. We weren't allowed to live in halls unless we were vaccinated against something, or we weren't allowed to go to music venues or football stadiums. Actually, these things used to be fairly normal. We used to do them either on a daily or a weekly or a monthly basis, or maybe less often than that for some. Um, there were things we enjoyed doing with our friends and family and didn't have to show anything as proof to be able to do it. Uh, whereas now, um, we will have to and I think that's not quite the granting of a privilege it's just the taking away of something that is normal for those who don't sign up mm -hmm. but again yeah pe people are so just captured by fear and by 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 the you know messaging and programming that 
to them, you know, life before March 2020 is this, you know, this 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 hideous backwater that we 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 should never ever return to, you know. And that's the thing with politicians, where you know, even when they try and give us this, you know, faux quasi-inspirational message of hope they'll never ever say it. like none of them have said that life will go back to normal there's, there's it, it, of course it, it's the new normal well the, the pandemic and the lockdowns were essentially year zero hmm. it, it was a civilizational change it's like 9-11 and the war on terror happened everything changed permanently and it has yet to change back hmm. it's going to be the same thing with the pandemic only on a much more noticeable scale perhaps well although for some especially government ministers, life in many regards has been very similar to how it was before 2020, which I think leads us on to our last story. Uh, and we're going to talk about Alok Sharma, government minister. He's in, uh, the president of a, of it's called COP26, which is a climate conference, which will be soon taking place, I believe, in Scotland. Sam, you've got the story on this. What are you going to tell us about? Mm. Yes, uh, Mr. Um, Mr. Sharma has uh, been a bit of a naughty boy. Um, the uh, yes, the um, the the UK's new climate czar, um, as you mentioned, ahead of the COP26. Which uh, I mean, you know, anyone who's paid any attention to any sort of mainstream climate conference in the last decade has seen that it's literally just a social event for you know uh, one percenters and political elites. Um, Mr. Sharma. Um, has gone to uh, 30 countries in the last uh, couple of months. Um, some of them on the red list, some of them on the amber list. Uh, hasn't actually once. Um, this goes back to something that um, Dominic Raab said after the G7, which was really quite a, for me at least, quite a water moment of, you know, the political class saying the quiet part out loud where the rules are, are only really for the plebeian class, right? You know, the... the um, the overlords and the, you know, the 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 politicians and the just the upper classes in this new caste system aren't obliged either internally or externally to abide by the rules that they've enforced on millions of people, billions of people worldwide. Um, this is this is just the the latest chapter of that. This is not a standalone story. This is just part of a wider trend of the the people who have ripped the fun and spontaneity and joy out of life. Have only ripped out of our lives, not their own. Hmm. There was a story today. Um, for, for months, there's been reports on the quarantine hotels, which those returning from red list countries have to isolate in for ten days and must pay one thousand seven hundred and fifty pound, a sum which is soon to increase to two thousand two hundred and eighty-five pounds. Um, now, the people have said these are, have prison-like conditions. Um, the food was pretty awful. Uh, they were treated uh, like prisoners. The the so the the staff there they were like bodyguards, if you see what I mean, preventing them from leaving. Um, a report today of one in London, uh, a chap who's come back from a red list country, and he's had to move room twice because of rodent infestation. Uh, and the the staff at the hotel are saying, "Oh crikey, yeah, there's always been a problem with that." And uh, one of them said, not you as well, one of the other guests, as he walked out. So it seems like a fairly big problem in one of these hotels. But of course, this government minister, and none of the others indeed, as he just said, since it's just for the plebeians, will know about this. And that's why nothing ever changes, because Sharma didn't have to come back um, and isolate in a quarantine hotel for 10 days when he returned, for example, from Bangladesh a couple of months ago, a red list country. 
Instead, he went back to the comfort of his own home and the next day went out and met Prince Charles. So, you know, it really is quite nice if you if you have these privileges. You don't have to pay any money to stay anywhere um, and you can go back to the comfort of your own house and then mix with the with the others of your own class straight afterwards. So, yeah, I think it is a it's um, a hypocrisy story, if ever there was one, not only in the COVID sense, but also something we should talk about, I think, uh, given his position as climate czar. Quite interesting that he's traveling around to 30 countries in such a short amount of time when everybody else is being forced to Zoom, um, as we are right now, in fact. Mm. Uh, but also also um, the obvious one of uh, the UK's climate czar is is jetting around the globe. It's like, it's yeah, like when the, it's, it's like when the prime minister rock, rocked up in Cornwall for the G7 on, on a plane. Yeah. You know? some things never change and these are two examples one is that um of course those who write and vote on the covid laws do not follow them number two is that all these climate change ours are still you know jet setting off around the globe going to all these nice conferences and all these five-star stellar hotels and i mean on on the point of uh of johnson um flying down to cornwall i mean i understand that the drive from London to Cornwall is a bit of a pain, but uh, I mean, yeah. you won't be the one driving. Though. Yeah. <laughs> we all do it every year, don't we? <laughs> I do. Yes. Um, but yeah, no. Mister um, Charmer's been a been a very naughty boy, but um, again, it's it's um, the 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 you know obviously the natural response is to, is to call him a hypocrite, but but again, like I, like I said before, this is this is not hypocrisy. This is just domination. You know. This, this is just simply the politically and socially advantaged class asserting their dominance. Mm. And, you know, just to go further on this, the conference which he is the president of and which he's organising, the, the latest climate conference, those attending this, and there's thousands of them, I think it could be up to 25,000 when you include sort of the journalists and all the other accolades that come along, uh, it seems won't have to be isolating and so won't have to pay to isolate, won't have to have the inconvenience of isolating for 10 days. They'll be given a free ticket and again, on the other angle, will likely come in on their private jets uh, sort of putting as much damage into the environment as they possibly can so they can all come over and talk about the great advances they've made uh, whilst in lockdown of tackling climate change. They can invent a machine to get all these plastic masks out of the ocean first we we talked about this before we used to have a mask bin at bin at work and that's where of course we put all our uh, quote quote unquote disposable plastic masks in after we've used them and i nicknamed it the whale stomach because that's exactly where all that muck is going absolutely yeah it's true well we uh we truly are standing on the precipice of a brave new world we are indeed um Shall I end on this, by the way? Are we, are we doing a misc or do we think we've done enough? Okay. Uh, we've, we've had time. We are indeed. And I, I think on that, uh, another jolly ending. Um, we will call that the Week in Review and we'll uh, grateful for you to listening again and hope that you might join us again next week. Thanks very much. <laughs>